0: Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of The Comics Comic, found wherever you can type The Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Jeff Dye was a finalist on Last Comic Standing only three years into his comedy career. Since then, Di has hosted two MTV series, Numb Nuts and Money from Strangers, one Spike Game TV show, That Awkward Game Show. He's appeared frequently on ABC's Extreme Makeover Home Edition and competed against other celebrities on both Lip Sync Battle and I Can Do That. For two seasons now, he has served as tour guide for William Shatner, Terry Bradshaw, George Foreman, and Henry Winkler across the globe on NBC's celebrity bucket list travelogue, Better Late Than Never. We've known each other for years, but this is his first sit-down on my podcast. Better late than never, right? So let's get to it!
1: How's so going, John? Jeff
0: die. how the heck are you?
1: I'm good. Good to hear your voice, brother. He was just trying to uh, tell me before you came on who you were, and I was like, "No, I'm well aware of Sean. I've known him for God, yeah, what is it? Almost uh, 2018, so over ten years."
0: Since you were, since you were, but a new face.
1: That's right. Uh, which was 2008, which is ten years ago.
0: Wow. Are 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 we sure that you didn't win last Comic Standing?
1: No. <laughs> I I pretend that that's what happened every day.
0: Well. It seems that way because part of the prize of winning is that you get a talent deal with NBC, and for the last three years now, they've put you in prime time hanging out with celebrities, dancing with celebrities, traveling the world with celebrities.
1: Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I think NBC was like, we'll take that guy.
0: So it was, you didn't put on the hard sell.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I'll just I'll take third and then the and then the career. I'll do that.
0: <laughs> well you know, that's that's kinda how that show works out. Like Amy Schumer finished fifth maybe her season. So you know when you
1: Oh yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah, so when you look back it's it's not necessarily the winners who <laughs> who win that show.
1: Yeah, I think that as long as you just go on there and you do your best and you don't sell out like, because sometimes people can misrepresent themselves in a reality show format. Right. And then they're like, oh, I hate that I did that show. But it's not the show's fault. It, it's simply the choices you made on that show. Right. Now, you and are... other people just yeah. make better choices.
0: <laughs> well, when you chose to do the show, you were still so young. I mean, both yeah, inter- okay. both in Very terms of... Comedy years in in terms of just regular age you were you were a young guy starting out in the game did you Did you have a sense of what you thought it was going to turn into doing the show
1: not really I think um i I just wanted to do stand up comedy on television okay i didn't really factor uh, that it would turn into like doing hosting and and auditioning and acting and things like that. Um I certainly was happy when that happened, but that wasn't the idea. My goal was just to be a touring comedian and be, you know, known as a stand up comic. Uh but also I was so green that I didn't you know, my dream was to do a comedy central present. And then like within a few months of taping Last time McCann they're like, Yeah, we'll give you a Comedy Central Present. So uh <laughs> Definitely I you know, I was green even in making my goals.
0: So when you so when you get all that stuff right away do you do you completely change what your goals and dreams are gonna be at that point? Do you think, oh, if I've got all this all already, then in the next five years I'm gonna have a sitcom, I'm gonna be in movies or
1: uh yeah, you have to. I think um I was I think I got a lot of those things So quickly, but Mm -hmm. also too soon. I'm not I'm not afraid to say that it was too soon. My Comedy Central Presents was average, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. I don't think I don't think anyone watched it and was like blown away. I think people watched it and was like, okay, that was that was a thing. Um, (laughs) And that was simply because I got it too soon. I think sometimes people blame the comedian when you get things too soon. It's like, what am I supposed to say when I get an offer to do a Comedy Central present? Am I supposed to go, Oh no, way too soon for that. No, you just take it and do your best. That's, that's what I did. And, um, you know, that's not my fault that it was too soon. Uh, I think I learned from it and I think that I made better goals and bigger goals. And my goal was to be a better, Stand up comedian and to be someone who when I get an opportunity I'm going to knock it out of the park uh which is you know what I think what I do my best now, whether it's dancing on TV or doing some sort of you know dog act or like whatever NBC has me doing or even just doing the tonight show I make sure that if you see me on television I'm going to knock it out of the park
0: that's uh that's kind of refreshing to hear your honesty because you know, so many young comedians who come up to me and ask me questions. They seem to want everything right away. You know, even even mm-hmm. in their first year, they think, "Oh, I'm ready to tape a half hour special and send it to Comedy Central." Or, "Who do I talk to at Netflix to get my first hour?" So to right, so to actually hear a comedian go, "No, it's you can get things too soon," and it's uh, it's refreshing. Yeah, I'm, to hear that. I'm
1: a I'm a great great example of getting stuff too soon. Um. Which people took out on me, I think, which is mm-hmm. weird. But I also will say, and I think you're an expert in this field, when it comes to stand up comics, you need a healthy amount of delusion, but <laughs> not too much not too much delusion. It mm-hmm. has to be in this like little window of like of, of a healthy amount of delusion. And uh, I think that like you notice that in the club scenes, forget T V. Mm-hmm. Every host thinks they're a middle act and every middle act thinks they're a headliner, and every headliner thinks they should be on TV, and every guy on TV thinks they should be a big star. And so it's kind of like just the way our business works in a way. Uh,
0: I know you're from the, the Seattle area, Kent. Um, did you did you immediately move to L.A., or did you stay part of the Seattle comedy scene after first getting on TV? So I
1: was a- I was a part of the Seattle comedy scene from 2005 to 2008. Okay. Once I got on um, Last Comic Standing, Barry Katz convinced me that I need to move to Los Angeles. So I moved down to Los Angeles right away in 2008. Okay. Uh, but I will say, I, did, I got so much stage time in Seattle that I was way farther along than a three-year comedian. Because I think we measured careers different, or I think we measure careers incorrectly. Someone will say, oh, I've been doing comedy for 10 years. But the problem is that they've only gone on stage like once a week, you know, so that's 52 sets uh, a year. Whereas Mm -hmm. a different person says, oh, I've been doing comedy for a year, but they did like three sets a night every night of the week. So it's like, why are they both calling themselves one-year comedians? It doesn't make any sense. Um, whereas I, I was the guy who like in those three years, I probably had the stage time of what most people would have in, you know, a decade at Giggles.
0: Yeah. In in those years, how many places could you get up in the Seattle area?
1: Every night of the week, you could get up at least twice.
0: So what, what rooms and, were, were there? Uh,
1: the comedy underground, mm-hmm. uh, was a big one. Giggles comedy club was a big one. And then there was all these bars and mics everywhere like Seattle had a huge alt comedy scene and although that alt comedy scene didn't receive me uh, as one of them they still put me on stage you know I still was able to get up and and try my best at those things so I had a plenty and plenty and plenty of uh, opportunities to to get up every night of the week multiple multiple times um also I worked at a comedy club called Giggles where the owner was not very well received. So I was...
0: Was that his Terry? ...go-to
1: guy. Yeah, I was <laughs> his go-to guy. Mm-hmm. Um, me, Andrew Slater, Brian Moose, a couple other guys, we um, we were just willing to put up with the dysfunctionality that <laughs> Giggles was.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, and we were rewarded by putting up with that with heaps and heaps of stage time.
0: Yeah. Uh, so then you moved to LA on, on Barry's advice. You start getting a bunch of things, even, even though you might not have been ready for it in hindsight. When you started to get the other, when you started to get the other TV stuff, like the MTV shows or, uh, that period where you were like comic relief on extreme makeover. Um, what did you learn the most in that period about yourself?
1: Uh, what did I learn most about myself during those things? Yeah. I think that I trusted my instincts. Those shows taught me that, um, that I'm not just funny, like, in a setup punch tag way. Mm-hmm. I think that those shows taught me that, like, I've always been kind of like a people, people, so, like, in school, oftentimes I would, like, say something and I was being sincere and the whole class would laugh. And then I would kind of like, it would make me embarrassed, but then I go, yeah, I was trying to be funny, you know? <laughs> and that, I think this the way I speak or the way I carry myself or like me just trying to interact in society makes people laugh. And I learned that through being on TV, not just on a stand-up comedy stage, that like there's so many ways to be funny and there's so many ways that people think you're funny. Mm-hmm. Um, So, I mean, that's a silly thing to learn. But it made me a lot more confident, like, day-to-day and just um, with my regular interactions that, like, that is my voice. Humor is the way that I am received by people.
0: And how exactly did the Better Late Than Never opportunity come about? I can see NBC getting these four... Retired athletes and and stars from the from the seventies and eighties together, and putting them on the road. But then, how do they decide to put you in with them?
1: Um, so I'll give you the honest answer on that. the <laughs> The show is based off a Korean format called Grandpas Over Flowers. Okay. And the show was the young guy wanted to take his grandpa and his grandpa's three friends to go do all these crazy things. Okay. And his grandpa's we're like, you know, you idiot, we're not going with you on that. Uh, and then it's also kind of got a idiot abroad feel, except instead of me being an, a grumpy idiot, I'm kind of like a positive idiot. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the way it happened was that they knew that they needed to make the four guys, the NBC's twist is that they wanted four well-known celebrity mm-hmm. old men. Um, now, that being said, they didn't try real hard to find the young young guy that wasn't like their priority <laughs> but i was tested so well on i can do that and mm-hmm. people liked me so much on i can do that which i think they were surprised by because the other people on i can do that were so much more famous than me right uh but i, w- I was the one that people you know kind of uh i don't know I, I just did well on that show, I guess, or I don't know how to say it, like you, word you, it, but like th- I tested great. Do you think it actually helped that you
0: weren't the famous one on that sh- on that show?
1: Yeah, that could be. I think maybe maybe I think that um, people just responded well to my humor, mm-hmm. um, and so NBC was like, "Listen, that show's not coming back, but we want to we want to work with you, and we want we'll find something for you." Okay, and within a couple of weeks. Within a couple of weeks, they're like, "We got the show for you," and I went to Henry Winkler's house, mm-hmm. and we sat there and we hit it off and had tea and lemon cake, and it, I mean, it was it was really. I was almost immediately into another project, which I was so grateful for.
0: Now, what was your what was your impression of Henry Winkler before you met him? What, what did you remember him most? Uh, before
1: I, I knew him from like Waterboy and like all the Adam Sandler kind of things, okay. and Arrested Development.
0: Right, cause you're so, because you're too young for days Happy four, Days.
1: Exactly, I'm too young for Happy Days. I'm too young for um, William Shatner's uh, version of Star Trek. Mm-hmm. I was, I wasn't born when Terry Bradshaw retired from football, <laughs> and my my generation knows George Foreman as like the name that was on the grill in their college dorm. Right. Like we like so. I wasn't starstruck by any of these guys by any means, um, but I was aware of who they were. Okay, I, you know, I know, I knew all their names and knew exactly why they were famous. Mm-hmm. But they weren't like my they weren't like my guys, you know. Right. But now, by knowing them and learning about them and and becoming so close with them, now they're hundred percent my guys for sure.
0: So the first one you met was Henry Winkler, and what what was it like going to his house?
1: Uh, It was incredible. I drove up to his beautiful home, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was like – it was interesting to have – usually, you know, you eat lunch at the grill, like at NBC or something, or you meet in someone's office. To have someone just, you know, hey, come to my gorgeous home, and I'll make you tea. It was (laughs) perfect. It was exactly as you would think Henry Winkler would be. Mm He's just such a sweetheart of a guy. Uh um, He's a mensch. It it just totally – yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Uh,
0: and then did you meet the other three guys the same way, or did you meet them on set?
1: I met Terry Bradshaw and George Foreman on the first day of us leaving for the trip at the airport. <laughs> and then I, I met um, William Shatner at Comic-Con. I was hosting Comic-Con on TMZ. Okay. or Not TMZ, sorry, on Spike, on Spike TV, I okay. hosted Comic-Con. And so I got to interview Bill Shatner and he was like, I understand that we're going on quite an adventure soon. And I was like, yeah, so it was a really brief meeting Mm -hmm. because he was there to plug his like comic book. And I was there to interview him about his comic book. And all we, my producer was like, Hey, stop talking about your own project and and (laughs) ask him about what you promote.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, so, but you meet, uh, George Foreman and Terry Bradshaw at the airport. On that, so on that first flight, how how long did it take for you to fit in with those four old famous guys?
1: Uh, well, that's the thing that I think may be kind of my strong suit mm-hmm. is that I have kind of a gift for like making friends or like uh, linking kind of a group. So, like, I would say within you know, me and Terry Bradshaw were like literally roughhousing and wrestling in the airport lounge before we even left for the first flight. I had only known him for like 25 minutes, and we Mm -hmm. were already making jokes and goofing around. We just clicked like right away. So I was very flattered about that. Um, The other guys was a little tougher. Bill Shatner didn't start liking me until like last week. You know, like this season (laughs) is when... (laughs) Uh, But everyone else I clicked with pretty quick. They're such sweet guys and Mm -hmm. easy to get along with. That It was a pretty, you know, they kind of just were like, all right, if he says that, uh, if he says that I'm, that he's part of our group, then he's part of our group. And I kind of just wiggled my way in through spending every day with him 24 hours a day.
0: And then, you know, doing these two seasons of the show, one in Asia and one in Europe, um, how much how much do you try to interact with them uh, versus just staying out of the way and letting them create their own comic mayhem?
1: Well, I told you my strong suit is like making friends and bringing it together. Mm-hmm. My weak suit is that I don't know when to step back. Uh, <laughs> so I was totally just, you know, always chiming in and mm-hmm. whatever, which works, you know, on the show because they're like, shut up, or they'll like tell me to like be quiet or like whatever, <laughs> and uh, so... I, did, I don't I don't ever think to just sit back and let them do their thing because I uh you know I was like they didn't put me on the show to be quiet they put me on the show to be myself and I'm just gonna keep being myself okay uh
0: and how how long did do those productions take
1: two months. The, two months we traveled two months we uh, shoot every single day or for every six days that we shoot we get one dark day to ourselves in that city okay so we're getting to kind of do the best of the best tourist things in whatever place we're at, um, as paid by paid for the show and as all those different things. Um, but uh, um, on the dark day, we can kind of go do whatever we want. I hang out with a lot of the camera guys and a lot of the crew mm-hmm. um, when I'm there on the days off. So that's that's kind of what we do.
0: Was it was it difficult? Difficult at all coming back from either trip to kind of readjust to life as a stand up?
1: Absolutely, because those trips are the longest I have not done stand up. Mm. So I, uh, you know, I do stand up every single night on the road, obviously, but then also when I come home, I'm at the Comedy Magic Club, the store, and the improv. And so for me to take two months off, Cause you can't go to you know when you're in Lithuania, you can't just swing by the comedy club and try to do a set. Right. Um, so it w- it was really hard. When I came back, I did a set first night at the Comedy Magic Club, and I was it was it was actually kind of exciting. I was telling Richard, I was like, I'm nervous. Like this is so crazy. Like I'm actually like nervous. I was trying to like remember some of my jokes. I was like I, used to, I can't remember how that goes. So that was that was a real new experience for me for sure.
0: Were there any older comedians who could give you advice in terms of juggling stand-up with TV projects and things like that?
1: Uh, I used to talk to Gary Shanley about that a lot. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I used to talk to Larry Miller about that a lot. Um, I, more, I mean, I don't think Larry Miller would recognize that I was grilling him that way, but I would intentionally ask him questions where he could give me advice about those, that, that, those subjects. And um, it's... It's tricky. Like one of the best things that the best advice I ever got. Do you know who David Crow is? Yeah, yeah,
0: he's he's a Seattle guy. I won the Seattle contest.
1: Right. Love David Crow. He's from Kent, Washington, just like myself, in the same same city. Mm-hmm. And I asked him. I said, "What do you like better? Do you like doing TV or comedy clubs?" And I wanted the purest answer to be like, "Of course, comedy clubs," because you know, because that's what I wanted him to say. Mm-hmm. You know, like as like, oh, comedy. This is real. You know. But what he did is instead he just said, "Jeff, this will always be here. These comedy clubs—they're always—you can do this the rest of your life, no matter what. You're not necessarily, not all of us. You know, you never know if if you're always going to be able to get on TV. So do as much TV, and that will help you forever be invited into this place that we like called stand-up comedy. And I think that he's a hundred percent right that." The more stand-up I do, the better my number, or the, I'm sorry, the more TV I do, the more my stand-up shows sell, the mm-hmm. more tickets I sell, the more, you know, more that I, I just can walk into a comedy club now, and they're like, yeah, you want to go up? We'll put you up. And that that's something I've always wanted the power of.
0: And how, how, how much time were you able to spend with uh, the late Gary Shanley?
1: Oh, a ton of time. So I used to go down to Comedy Magic Club early just to watch boxing with Gary, wow. and I don't even like boxing. <laughs> I should say I liked hanging out with Gary Shanling and he was so nice to me cuz my home club's comedy magic so I don't necessarily rub elbows with the Cristaleas and the the you know younger guys of my you know the Whitney Cummings, mm-hmm. I don't see them as much who I see are the Ray Romanos and the um you know the Gary Shanlings down at the comedy magic club so that's one of my favorite things about that club is we'll just be sitting there and then uh, Richard will be like, hey, Paul Reiser's coming through tonight. Mm-hmm. And then within like an hour, I'm friends with Paul Reiser, <laughs> um, you know, uh, Brad Garrett and like these kind of guys who have you know, so for me, it's really fun. Right. And it's kind of like my show where I, I get to always feel like the young guy, <laughs> like I'm 34, but I still am every day like, oh, who's this young buck? And so I, I kind of enjoy that as well
0: how how much how much advice did, did Gary freely give you versus just stuff he wasn't uh intentionally giving you but you were just learning by by hanging out with him
1: 100% of the things he told me was just me listening and taking his advice he ne- mm. I never like you know he never gave me advice solicited or unsolicited you know it was always like me just studying him and realizing how much how important he was you know to comedy um but he would say some very poignant things i one thing i liked about gary shanley the most is he valued attention and being seen and being respected for your art as much as he respected being left alone like like he would just like sometimes he, it was gary didn't want to talk he didn't want to chat he didn't want anyone around you know Mm -hmm. hence him like moving up into the mountains and living alone for years and then there's other times where he was just hungry and wanted to be on tv and wanted to work and wanted to socialize and wanted to watch you know inviting young comedians to watch boxing with him so he was kind of a mix of both um of both of those two things
0: okay and since you since you mentioned that specific club in Homerosa beach you know, that's Jay Leno's spot on Sundays. Have you been able to interact with him much?
1: Uh, with who? Jay Leno. Oh, no. I've had almost zero interaction with Jay Leno. I went to watch him one time. The thing is that, like, Sundays, even though that's, like, my home club, mm-hmm. it Sundays is a whole different beast. You oh, know, wow. Jay is a, a man... Jay mm-hmm. is like a man of like habits, and so he has the same openers, okay, the same staff. It's the same. <laughs> and Sunday is kind of it, kind of the same thing. Actually, here's a funny story. When I first started coming around, Richard and uh, Mike Lacy, they were so good to me. They give me like literally like six spots a week. Mm-hmm. And it was just so nice, and they I think they saw me as like a younger version of those older guys. Uh, you know, like when they were younger, right? So it's kind of like they're like, oh, this you know Jeff's clean. He's set up punch tag. He's he, he's chin to chest with comedy, and he comes out there and he he's, he's funny, and so he fits in here. So after like a few months of doing so many sets, he said, Richard and Mike Lacy and Richard are like, hey, just so you know, this is your this is your club. When people ask what's your home club, we would, we would like for you to say that it's Comedy Magic. And I was like, oh, I'm so flattered. I'm having I'm like almost choked up, like having like this family moment. Mm-hmm. And then I said. You know, that being said, I would love to uh, come come see Jay Leno sometime on a Sunday. And they're immediately like, hey, what well, the thing is this. <laughs> <laughs> they're feeling, like, uh, we don't know if, you know, if it's really, you know, like Jay's kind of weird about that. And like Sundays are <laughs> kind of different. So feels like as much as I was still a regular, it was still like kind of like this. Well, we don't know if, you, if, if, if you're a Sunday guy necessarily. Huh. So wow. I love Jay, but I haven't. Had many interactions with
0: him. Right. So I know you're still, you're still a young buck relatively, but what would be the one thing you would want to pass on to the next young comic who comes along, whether it's a, uh, somebody from Kent or somebody you run into in Hermosa beach.
1: Uh, I mean like what would my advice be? To?
0: Yeah. What would be the one, the one most important thing you would, you would want to pass on to them?
1: Uh, I would just say enjoy it. That's like one of my favorite compliments is like people like, so I just did a Tonight Show on Friday, and a lot of people were like, you look like you were just having so much fun. And I think maybe that's the secret to my success is that I I really love it. I'm enjoying it. It doesn't feel like a job to me. It doesn't feel like a chore. It's not like um, I'm not just doing it for the You know, the attention or the girls or the money or the travel. I I genuinely love writing and telling jokes. That's my favorite. And also I would say, um, you know, be be nice. I think that's another thing is like for anyone who doesn't like my stand-up comedy, they seem to all agree I'm a nice guy, and that's because I value kindness. And I think that um, I think that's done more for my career than any hard work or anything else has, It's just being someone that people like.
0: Well, Jeff Dye, I can tell you this, you're not lying, because uh, I've always enjoyed your company, and uh, you're fun to be around, and uh, thanks for sharing some more time with me now.
1: Absolutely. Thanks, Sean. It's good to hear your voice, man. Hit me up next time. I'm in New York.
0: Will do, Jeff. Thanks.
1: Bye, man. Bye. You soon. Bye. Bye-bye. things first.